Dude, hi. You're gonna give me some pie. Welcome to the PieCast, serving up an extra slice of the strange. Welcome to another episode of the PieCast. <laughs> um, I'm your host, Mandy, and at this time I thought I'd discuss sort of my experiences with the paranormal, um, mainly ghosts. So I've kind of got three little tales, kind of little things that have happened to me. Um, I've always believed in paranormal stuff and supernatural and just creepy things like that. Um, I've never really had big things happen to me. Like I know some people have had like big things happen to them specifically. I have had just sort of a few little things happen to me. Um, I've kind of always been open to it. Um, but I think that it's more, it kind of like not really scares me, but it, it does, I guess, it basically scare me a little bit. So it's like one of those things where if I ever, you know, was attacked by a ghost or saw something really scary, I would probably end up having a heart attack. And I think that maybe that's why, despite being open to it, that I don't have any bigger stories. Like, I haven't really had anything big, big happen to me. Um, I kind of like to think that maybe the ghosts feel that and they don't want to murder me <laughs> by giving me a heart attack. Um but here's going to be my, my three little stories. So the first one is um, when, I guess we'll go back to, okay, we'll start with the biggest one. <laughs> um, the the first one is going to be about sort of the biggest thing that I've had happen as far as a ghost encounter. Um, so years ago, uh, my husband and I, we were visiting his family and they live in a town called Ear Falls and his grandmother lives in a town called Bombertown and it was about an hour away down the highway and so it was like one of those you know two lane up through the bush kind of not really dirt road but like sort of out of the way northern highways um and we were visiting we had rented a movie and we left it at his grandmother's place and we drove back to his mom's where we were staying about an hour away and we were planning on heading back to our home in Thunder Bay um the next day or well the day after the next day so we didn't want to leave the actually back to the dvds it would have been (laughs) um we didn't want to leave the rental there at the time because we would have had to pay for it and everything so we drove back that night and it kind of started off that way where it was like you know 11 o'clock at night driving down this two-lane um sort of creepy highway where it's just complete bush on either side you can't see anything there's no lights there's nothing down it so that's kind of creepy to begin with um and i always have like this weird unsettling feeling when you know we drive past woods especially at night like i'm always kind of expecting to see something weird in them um but we didn't see anything on the way get back to his grandmother's house and you know it's it's kind of late at night and she's just got a couple like not really big guest rooms or whatever so i stayed in one room slept um in the bed and he slept on the couch and you know we kind of just went to bed as soon as we got there because we didn't want to drive back the hour you know middle of the night um and we're planning on driving back in the morning um and then it gets to be about i want to say about seven in the morning maybe and i heard footsteps going down the hall and sort of like towards the kitchen and i figured oh it's his grandma getting up you know to make tea or something early because older people tend to get up super early <laughs> in the morning and i was awake so i figured oh you know maybe i'll go and, and sit with her and have a cup of tea and then so i get up and i walk down the hallway and there's no one there um no lights are on there's no one in the kitchen there's no sign of anyone being in the kitchen that i can tell um so i'm kind of confused but i figure well maybe i was just hearing things because i'm kind of groggy and you know it's early in the morning and stuff so i go back to bed and i walk past her room and i see that she, you know she's still in bed so obviously she wasn't up my husband's on the couch so he wasn't up um 
So I tend to think nothing of it, you know, go back to sleep. Uh, and then a couple hours later, you know, I hear them actually talking in the kitchen. So I, you know, I get up because I hear people now. And I thought, you know, maybe it was just a dream or whatever that I'd heard something. And I mentioned it to them like, oh, I thought I heard, you know, you up in the morning and walking down the hall and sort of rusting around in the kitchen. And apparently um, my husband's grandfather, who had passed away years before um, when he was a little kid, there's been, I guess, like hauntings of him in their house. Um, there were pe- other people that had seen stuff, other people had heard stuff. And that's kind of one of the well-known, more well-known things about the house was uh, hearing footsteps down the hallway. <laughs> So they figured, oh, you probably heard him. And I guess like his grandma had actually seen blue orbs sort of flying around or like, you know, kind of wispy things out of the corner of her eye that would fly into the closet where his ashes were. Um, And she never really like believed in any of that kind of stuff because she's, you know, a a staunch old German lady and sort of, you know, comes from the old school and doesn't really believe any of that kind of stuff. But yeah, she did admit that, you know, she had seen some stuff (laughs) flying around there. So that's sort of my first story is my bigger encounter with uh, a ghost so to speak <laughs> for my my stories that's the biggest one I have I mean other people have seen stuff or had more involvement that's kind of the biggest one that I've had um, the other sort of ghostly encounter is after my grandfather passed away um, I didn't actually go up and see him at the hospital after he'd passed away because I didn't want to have that image in my head of you know the last memory of him being sort of his dead body laying there in the hospital bed I kind of wanted to remember him how he was alive and I mean it was, I guess it was for some people it was closure uh going to say goodbye to the you know their their loved one but for me I just didn't I didn't want to go um I was still a teenager when he passed away and I just didn't feel comfortable doing it um so I dealt you know with his death and then that it was actually the day of his funeral um after his funeral we came back and had sort of a nap because you know you're emotionally drained after that kind of thing and I remember actually having a very vivid um, dream with him, having a full conversation with him where he was saying, you know, he was, it was okay that I didn't come and visit him um, and see his dead body because he didn't want me to remember him that way. And, you know, just sort of that, you know, he'd always be around and watching over me and that kind of thing. But it was, I mean, people kind of write it off as a dream, but it was like very realistic and, you know, vivid to me. So I kind of take that as, you know, him coming to visit me to say that it was okay kind of thing um the other thing that the kind of experience that I have I mean I tend to notice things sort of like out of the corner of my eye or just you know looking at stuff a bit differently and one of the other things that I have happened to me quite a bit is being woken up by people in my dreams so it'll be like just completely dreaming that you know things are normally or whatever or I'll actually be dreaming that I'm in bed um, and there was a little girl, you know, sort of long, dark brown hair, wearing a, a white, like, nightgown type of thing, an old school one, who just basically gets right up in my face and yells, Mandy! And I wake up. Um, that's happened several times throughout my life, and it's just weird, and it kind of wakes me up with a really big start, and it's kind of annoying. <laughs> I don't know if it's, you know, some some little girl ghost that's following me around because it's been in different places or what it is if it's some subconscious thing or something with my memory or brain just kind of trying to wake me up but I've had that happen quite a bit um so that's sort of the other thing I mean those are those are kind of my stories like I said it's nothing big compared to other people's but it's just sort of what's happened to me in my life (laughs) um and like I said I tend to notice things you know stuff in the sky or the woods or just when I'm driving past things and kind of looking at things a little bit differently you know sort of 
kind of looking to see what's there and I tend to see you know stuff out of the corner of my eye a lot and sort of shadows and things and I don't know like if it's just because I don't really want to see something necessarily because it does kind of unsettle me a bit to think of it that I don't actually see something um but yeah so that's just kind of my story and now it's time to serve up a slice of the strange today i've got a couple stories for you involving hospitals which is kind of extra creepy for me because i worked in one and i can definitely see um the creep strange factor in hospitals so the first story is the disappearance of joan gay croft whenever a natural disaster occurs it's almost inevitable that some victims will never be found However, the disappearance of four-year-old Joan Gatecroft is unlike any other. On April 9, 1947, an F5 tornado ravaged its way through Texas, Oklahoma, and Kansas, causing hundreds of deaths and devastating several towns. One of these towns was Woodward, Oklahoma, where 185 people were killed and many more injured. Joan Gatecroft lived in Woodward and wound up losing her mother that day. Joan's stepfather was critically injured, and both Joan and her eight-year-old half-sister jerry suffered minor injuries the two girls were taken to the hospital to stay in the basement which was being used as a shelter for the refugees sometime during the night two unidentified men dressed in khaki army uniforms entered the basement and grabbed joan when joan protested that she didn't want to leave her sister the two men assured her everything would be okay and they would return for jerry hospital staff members confronted the men but they claimed they were taking joan to another hospital to see her family the two men were allowed to leave with Joan, but did not return for Jerry. Joan was never seen again. Strangely, the men had specifically asked for Joan when they entered the room, indicating that they knew her. The case received national mainstream attention over the next several decades, but Joan was never located. In 1999, a newspaper editor for the Oklahoman received an email from a woman claiming to be Joan Gaycroft, who said she had been living under a different name with her, with her, fa- with her family's knowledge. <laughs> The woman agreed to a meeting but ceased communications and never came forward. Joan Gaycroft's disappearance remains unsolved and is one of the most unusual child abductions on record. Which I have to say is pretty creepy to think that they came into the hospital and specifically asked for her by name and knew that she was there. It wasn't like they just came in and took, you know, a random child. The fact that they actually specifically asked for her is a little bit strange to me. (laughs) Um... The second case is the disappearance of Benita Chamberlain. On February 13, 1978, 24-year-old Benita Chamberlain checked into Sacred Heart General Hospital in Eugene, Oregon to give birth to a baby girl. However, because the infant was born five weeks premature and had a low birth weight, she had to remain in the hospital for over a week. When Benita returned to the hospital on the morning of February 23rd, she was told that the child was fully recovered and would be ready to go home at approximately 1.30 p.m. Benita phoned a friend of hers to share this news, but it was the last time anyone had heard from her. She never took her infant daughter home that day. When Benita didn't return home that night, her mother reported her missing. Shortly after, her purse was discovered in the parking lot at the University of Oregon. Later, her abandoned car was found parked at a nearby bottling factory. Benita had been seen driving her vehicle out of the hospital parking lot previous morning, but no one knows what happened to her afterward. She left behind her newborn child and two other daughters. Weeks later, a plastic bag containing a severed female thigh was discovered in a garbage bin. Initially believed to be connected with Benita's disappearance, it ended up belonging to another murdered woman from that area. After nearly 40 years, there's still no trace of Benita Chamberlain. So again, that's a very weird case. I mean, you know, of a new mother abandoning her, her baby at the hospital. I mean, she comes back to actually, like, 
check on her because she was premature and wasn't able to go home yet and for whatever reason doesn't take her home and disappears i can't see someone doing that willingly i mean it seems like there probably was something suspicious or shady going <clears throat> shady going on there you know someone would have had to have do something to her to basically stop her from bringing her baby home and have her disappear so i hope you enjoyed this episode slice of the strange all right so another story that i wanted to discuss on this podcast is the toy and bee tiles and basically the story behind them is kind of something that inspired me to do this podcast and sort of investigate paranormal things a little bit more on my own um which i'll be doing a bit in the future but there was this documentary on Netflix called Resurrect Dead and it was about the Toy and Bee tiles and it followed this guy who was going to investigate them and sort of figure out where they came from and who was making them and I'll go into that a little bit more um, but I kind of wanted to say like you know it's a really good documentary so if it's still on Netflix I would check it out it's called Resurrect Dead and if it's not on Netflix you could probably find it on some other streaming services that you know you may subscribe to or whatever. Um, if you like documentaries, if you like sort of investigation ones, unsolved mysteries, it's not really, you know, paranormal or anything, but it's kind of a really good investigation documentary, I think, anyways. It's, it's something I found really interesting, and I've watched it a few times now. Um, so the Toynbee tiles, they're basically these tiles that were found on the asphalt on streets in a bunch of cities across the states and South America as well, which is kind of weird that it would reach that far. Um, they had a message on majority of them is most of them are probably the same and said toy and B idea in movie 2001 resurrect dead on planet jupiter so basically it was saying that in the movie 2001 space odyssey at the end of it um he sort of turns into this baby and floats around in space and it's something about being you know resurrected on planet jupiter and how like all lives that end on earth can sort of be brought back on jupiter which is kind of a really weird and strange idea <laughs> if if you get me there um so i guess it was going on from the 80s pretty much up until recent day um that they were being found in a lot of cities in the states and they're just sort of on you know intersections on crosswalks there were some that were even on highways that were found there sort of all over the place and they all had you know pretty much the same idea like some may have said in kubrick's 2001 or they're basically all you know referencing the same kind of thing basically so a little bit of history on it, I guess. Uh, they were first photographed in the 80s, and their first known reference in media um, was in 1984 in the Baltimore Sun. But a 1983 letter to the Philadelphia Inquirer referenced a Philadelphia-based campaign with themes similar to those mentioned in the tiles, basically being resurrected on Jupiter and Stanley Kubrick and Arnold J. Toynbee, who I'll get into in a moment. Um, the tiles have officially been sighted as far west as Kansas City, Missouri in the states, and as far north as Boston, Massachusetts, as far south as Washington, D.C. I know that there was also some that were found in South America in different places and sort of, you know, basically everywhere. <laughs> there was really any place that, you know, wasn't getting these tiles. Um, so Arnold J. Toynbee, um, he had written about a book called Experiences, and he had this basic idea that human nature presented human minds with this puzzle which they haven't solved and they may never actually solve and that being how there is a soul and a body um, basically that no one has ever been or ever met a living human soul without a body and he says you know that basically present-day scientific account of the universe may find it impossible to believe that a living creature once dead could come back to life but he didn't entertain this belief. Um, he said that thinking more scientifically, 
if you thought in Christian terms of psychosomatic resurrection than if you thought of shamanistic terms of disembodied spirit. So basically he was saying, you know, he believes that there is a possibility that there's this sort of soul or another like transition um, in life and how we can, you know, all the people that were once dead may be possible to resurrect them. And I guess that was sort of brought up in the movie 2001 and sort of resurrecting people on Jupiter <laughs> for whatever reason that was picked because Stanley Kubrick was a little bit out there. So that was the idea for the tiles. Um, and I guess that there was, you know, some guy who had basically decided that, hey, I like this idea. I'm going to sort of run with it. And for whatever reason, he decided to start laying the tiles down everywhere. I'm not really sure why he chose to make tiles and to lay them down on streets <laughs> to get his message out. I mean, I guess back in the 80s and 90s, there probably wasn't a better way. I mean, now you would do it on the internet, right? So back then he figured, hey, I'll just make some tiles, cut out these words and just leave them all over the place. Um, and I know that in the documentary, when they were trying to figure out who it was, um, there was also reports of a guy driving around a neighborhood before these reports of tiles came up um, with like a big antenna and how there would be messages that would come across people's televisions. Because back in the 80s, you know, TVs had antennas and would pick up signals. And it was sort of like a shortwave radio broadcast with the same basic idea about being resurrected on Jupiter. And just, I guess, kind of that's you know, the, the basic premise, basically, that life can move on. So in the movie, and again, you know, with the tiles, they tried, and tra tried to track down who was making them. They never really fully, you know, came to the conclusion on who it was. But there was one guy, um, and they basically kind of said, you know, it was probably him. And one neighbor said that she did remember getting a ride in his car and how there was a big hole cut through the floorboard on the passenger side. So that kind of clicked in that how that's, you know, the tiles were getting laid where he would just drop them from the hole in his cars, he was driving, you know, down the interstate or across the public street and they'd be tarred and dropped on the ground and he'd keep going and no one would know who dropped them there. So, you know, that whole process of tracking it down and investigation and just this weird thing with this weird idea about, you know, resurrecting dead on planet Jupiter and who was leaving these tiles was just a really cool unsolved mystery that I liked and found on Netflix. And like I said, sort of, kind of, sort of, kind of, maybe, basically, I just keep throwing out words there. Um, it was an idea that I, you know, kind of inspired me, inspired me for to do this podcast and just get back into sort of investigating things. Like I've always liked researching and learning new things. And I thought, you know, this would be kind of a fun way to do it on this podcast. Um, so I kind of decided to go that direction. And like I said, Toyin' Bee Tiles is one of, you know, my favorite investigation stories, movies that I found. Um, I definitely recommend checking that out if you like documentaries, if you like Unsolved Mysteries, because technically it still is kind of unsolved. They don't really know for sure who did it. They have kind of an idea, but it's just, you know, it's, again, something that's really cool and I, I would definitely recommend to check out. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the podcast. I hope you've enjoyed your slice of the strange. I want to give a shout out to Recap, the band that provided the music that I use for my show. And say that you can check them out at Recap Band on Twitter, as well as you can find me on Twitter at ThePiePod. And find me online at ThePiePodcast.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. Just search for The Piecast. And also, I'm a proud member of the Pottern Family Network. <laughs>